Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. have your Bibles, uh, go to Mark chapter 5. Somebody say miracles. We have been journeying through this discussion of miracles. We've looked at the God of miracles. How many know that we worship a God of miracles today? And uh, we've looked at, you know, our, our part and our responsibility. And I don't know about you, but you may be here in this room like me. You may be watching it online and you're, you're asking for God to do something that seems impossible for man. It even seems impossible for medicine. And you're overwhelmed and you really don't have anything else to turn to. You've trusted in a lot of other things and you're believing that God can still do what he's always done. All throughout this Bible, we read about the supernatural taking place in the natural. God doing miracles all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. I'll, I'll share the quote that, um, that John Piper said when he responded to a student we said, why do we see all these signs and wonders happening all throughout the Bible, but it seems like there's an absence of them today? And John Piper responded, and he said, you'd be, you'd, uh, to be honest, there might be uh, not as many miracles as you think in the Bible, and there's way more miracles than you can think that are here today in, in today's world. They're happening everywhere. The question is whether you see them or not, whether you experience them or not. And so they're happening. But all throughout the Bible, we, we hear about God doing the supernatural, but then we also see the part that man and women have to play. When God said, touch that, grab that, hold this up, speak that, there's God's part. And then as my dad did a great job last week talking about our part, we play, we play a role in this. And I wanna take you to a story in Mark chapter five of a woman who was sick for 12 years. She had the issue of blood. 12 years. And this is in uh, chapter 5, verse 24. Now, let me just read these passages in verse 24. This is the second part of that passage. It says, A large crowd followed him and pressed around him, Jesus. And the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she, what? she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, then I will be healed. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I wonder if there's anybody in this room today, you are waiting to be freed from your suffering. You are in pain. Think about 12 years. Man, I can't even last a year. Lord, 12 years this woman was suffering. She had every reason to give up, but she kept moving. She kept pressing and she kept believing. And I don't know about you today, but there's something that we can learn from this woman. And it's the title of this, this message this morning, if you're taking notes, and that is to move, to press, and to believe. Father, I thank you for your word thank you that it challenges us and convicts us and personally speaking God I know how much this has shaped me and I'm very thankful for that you know many 
People in this room can say the same thing over the, over the years. God, your word is, has always been the same, and it always is. <clears throat> and I pray today as we talk about this story, Lord, it wouldn't be my words, but it would be yours. And I know there are, are plenty of needs in this room, needs of those watching and online. There's plenty of pain. And, and I don't know why you always respond the way you do. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's over time. And sometimes it doesn't happen at all. So I don't want to bring false hope today, and I certainly don't want to discourage belief. Uh, but God, I pray that you would do only what you can do and speak how you can speak. And that as always, as we leave this room, that we would be challenged and encouraged and, and, and uh, motivated to become more like you every single day of our lives. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said one more time. Amen. And can we thank that worship team today? They did a phenomenal job, especially leading us in that new song. Daniela, thank you, as always. Um, I read a story of a man who was in a wheelchair, and he heard about a, a healing conference. And maybe you've heard about healing conferences. And, and the, man in, the older man in the wheelchair said, i got to show up to this healing conference so I can find healing. And he shows up, and he rolls in, and he sits there and listens to the preachers, you know, shouting a bunch of things. And... And at some point, the preacher looks at this elderly man who's in the wheelchair, and he said, in Jesus' name, stand and walk. And the elderly man started to get up out of his wheelchair. And everybody starts standing up watching the elderly man get up out of his wheelchair. He gets up. People are starting to shout. And then he starts taking a step, and the place just just erupts with praise, and he starts walking to the preacher. The preacher's shouting, and the preacher comes up to him, and he says, sir, how you feeling? And he says, I still can't see. Um, let me give you some context of, of uh, that had nothing to do with anything except that that was a joke about uh, somebody receiving healing or not. Um, Mark chapter 5, it's an interesting, interesting story because the, the, the miracle that we're addressing is really a miracle inside of miracle because Jesus shows up and is about to do a miracle and then he stopped to perform another miracle and he kind of goes back to doing the miracle that he was supposed to do. But all this happened before another miracle. In chapter 5, we see Jesus is teaching the people, and then he crosses the lake, and he encounters a demoniac, an individual who's demon-possessed. Now, Matthew's gospel records that there's actually two men that are demon-possessed. The demon's name is Legion, and the demon says that there are many of them. And the demon-possessed man or men are in the tombs, and they're cutting themselves with the stones, and people want nothing to do with these people. But Jesus shows up under the scene and the, and the demons notice. And the demons run up to Jesus and they fall to his knees. Because how many of you know that all authority on this earth is um, subject to Jesus? And so these demons fall to, to the knees, that, controlling these bodies. And they, they tell Jesus, they say, what do you want from us? Why are you here? And Jesus says, I'm, I'm here to cast you out of these bodies. And the demons are like, please, please, if you cast this out, um, can you send us over to these herd of pigs over here? And Jesus approves of that, and he agrees, and he casts out the demons from the man or the men, and he sends them to the herd of pigs, about 2,000 pigs. You remember the story? And then the pigs, what do they do? They jump off the, the cliff. And everybody was shouting and praising, right? Go, Jesus! No, they were extremely upset because that was 2,000 pigs that we could have eaten, that were giving us money. Jesus, that's a lot of bacon you just sent off that cliff. And the people were so upset, they expelled them from the land. They said, get out of here. Now, by the way, 
If you think encountering people who are possessed by demons is only common in the Bible or other countries, you are wrong. Demons are fallen angels who followed Satan. They're unclean spirits and they take control of bodies. And those who are not of God, who are indulging in sinful practices, are telling the enemy that my body is available to you to take control of. And we have a world, we live in a country where there are many who are indulging in sinful practices. And church, we got to be ready. We got to be ready to do what Jesus called us to do. We have to be ready. Possessed or not, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And when Jesus shows up to seek and save the lost and he encounters people who are possessed or not, and churches, we encounter people who are, who are possessed or not and we seek and save the lost, the devil doesn't like it. He hates it. And he wants to do everything he can to get you out of here. I don't want those Christians coming to this country. I don't want those missionaries coming to this town. I don't want that club coming into this school. I don't want those people going into that city where there's a bunch of churches. I want to do everything I can to kick those people out. And we got to be ready. And this is what's happening with Jesus. He shows up. He casts these demons out. Many of them sends them to pigs. And these people are so upset. The crowd does not worship. The crowd does not, are not in awe of him. Instead, they say, get out of here. And this is where we pick up our story in verse 21, where we encounter not a crowd that's willing to expel Jesus, but a crowd that's willing to welcome Jesus. It says in verse 21, Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. And a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus shows up. And when he sees Jesus, he falls to his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him. Which, by the way, this is an interesting... This does not happen with synagogue leaders. The Jewish leaders do not just fall at his feet. Especially knowing where this man just came from. Messing around unclean people, unclean spirits. Now he's unclean according to the law. And now this Jewish leader, who's opposed to everything that Jesus stands for and Jesus does, falls to his feet. And by faith, he goes on to say this. My little daughter, in verse 23, is dying. Please come and put your unclean hands... And that's not what it says. It just says hands, which are unclean according to the law. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him. They pressed around him, and verse 25 says, and a woman was there. So why was he, why was he encountering this woman with the blood issue? It was because he had just left one miracle, was now welcomed by a bunch of other people, and a synagogue leader named Jairus said, come heal my daughter. And he said, okay, let's go. And so now Jesus, along with his disciples, along with the crowds of people, are walking to Jairus' house so Jesus could lay hands on her and heal her because she's sick. But in the middle of the crowd, there was a woman. A woman who was in need of a miracle. A woman who was in need of healing. Just so happened to be moving and pressing and believing like every other individual it says in verse 27 of Mark 5, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him. Here's a thought if you're taking down some notes. Do whatever you can to be around the one that can bring you what you need. Do whatever you can. Somebody say, whatever I can. Whatever I can to be around the person that can bring me and give me the one thing that I need. Here's a passage we've been teaching you. Psalm 147, verse 3. Jesus heals the brokenhearted, and he what? He binds up their wounds. If you're brokenhearted, come to Jesus. If you've got wounds that need to be bound up, 
come to Jesus. Here he is. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to doctors or therapists or anything like that. Those are important things. But first, have you considered the one person that can heal you just by the touch of his finger? Have you considered? I know I've considered this, and I know I've considered that. I've trusted in chariots. I've trusted in horses. I've trusted in medicine. I've trusted in doctors. And the world tells me that they can solve my problems. And the counselor says that he can cure my mental illness. But I want to first make sure that you are trusting in the name of Jesus. Are you showing up to church? Are you falling at the altar? Are you saying what Jeremiah says when he said, God, if you can heal me, you say it, and I shall be healed. Do you really believe it? I've got to show up to the church because the Bible says that the elders and the leaders of the church will lay hands on me, anoint me with oil, and pray that I may be healed. So I've got to come here. I can go other places. I can trust in other things. But have you made yourself available to the one who can do it all? I love what Psalm 103 verse 3 says. He forgives us of our sins and he heals all of our diseases. How many thankful this morning that he heals you of your diseases and he forgives you of your sins? Thank you, Father, for that. God, I know where I should be going. But sometimes I go elsewhere. Help me go where I need to go. I want to sit at your feet. I want to soak in your presence. I want to drink the medicine of your word. I want to stay as close as I can because I know what they're telling me to do. But God, I want to do what your word says I should do. And I want to trust in you. And here's where I show up. When you're tired, you go find a place where you can sleep. When you're lonely, you go to a place where you can feel. When you're hungry, you go to a place where you can what? Eat. And some of you are already thinking about where you are going to eat right after this service. You know where you're going. In fact, some of you vacation planners out there are so great at planning your vacations because you're so good at knowing where you're going to eat. And so you plan your vacations around where you're going to eat. Anybody like that? Any, come on. Anybody like that? Let's be honest. You know where you're going to go, and you're always asking the question, where should we go to eat? And I don't want to call anybody out because I'm guilty of this myself. I become more focused on where I'm going to eat and, and where we're going to go than I do adding where am I going to spend time with God in that vacation agenda. Because oftentimes in my vacation agenda, spending time with God becomes optional. Reading the word becomes optional. I bring my Bible anywhere I go, whether it comes out of my backpack, that's another story. I'd like to say that it always does when I'm on vacation. I'll tell you this, I do always eat, but do I always spend time with God? So when I need healing, where do I go? Well, I'm going to go to the person and to the place that I know can bring exactly what I need. I love how David Gusick said it. I saw this from him. He said, a sick soul may go to doctor entertainment. Anybody like doctor entertainment? Man, I'm, I love that. But, but you will find no cure. They may pay a visit to doctor success, but he is no help in the long run. Doctor pleasure, doctor self-help. Dr. Religion can't bring a real cure. Only Dr. Jesus can. Somebody say amen. amen. Do you see our, our part in this? Jesus is about to do a miracle, and there's a woman who is about to receive a blessing. And she receives the blessing in her pressing. So she, she moves, and she presses, and she believes, and she's about to get exactly what she needs. But here's what I want to tell you today, and this is kind of what I want to preach on. I'm going to give you three things. When you are waiting on your miracle, if you are believing by faith that God is going to do only what God can do, there's a few things that we can learn from this woman. And the first one is this. 
Number one, put aside your excuses. Because we have a long list of excuses. They're there. They're clear. We know them. And some of them are truth. Some of them are reality. Some of them aren't just made up. I think a lot of our excuses might just be made up. But how many of you agree? Not all of our excuses are made up. But there's still excuses when it comes to the things of God. In Mark 5, verse 25, it says, A woman was there. She was in the middle of the crowd. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. She touched his garments because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, let's be honest for a moment, because some of you are asking for the same exact thing. You're believing by faith that God is going to do only what God can do. But you have a long list of excuses that are legitimate. And because of all these excuses, it tends to take a toll on us when we look at them often. And at times it's, it's, it's tiring, at times it's miserable, at times it's discouraging. And I'm trying to move, I'm trying to press, I'm trying to believe. But as humans, we just experience real things. And because we experience real things, it is often challenging. And, you know, we talked about a God of discipline a couple of weeks ago when we finished Hebrews chapter 12. And certainly there are things that we are going through because God is disciplining us. He is chastening us. He is, he is molding us. But then there are many things that aren't because God is disciplining us. It's just because we live in a world of sin. And if we didn't live in a world of sin, if we didn't live in a world of tragedy, if we didn't live in a world of chaos, then we would not be a world worth saving. But thank God there is somebody who is coming to save us from this world, which we were not meant to be in anyways. Our citizenship is not in this world where there is pain and suffering, but our citizenship is in heaven, where there's no more pain, where there is joy. But, but pain is a real thing. And this is the first excuse that as individuals, as believers, we have to press past. This is the first excuse that this woman with the blood issue presses past, and that is the excuse of pain. Can you imagine what this woman is experiencing for 12 years going through this kind of pain? Now, I don't want to think at one, for one moment that I can uh, explain or justify the pain, women, that you go through on a monthly basis. I, I don't understand. I don't like to think I understand. But what, what I do know is when I see pain, I, I try to help with pain, right? I, I kind of get it. I know I'm a man, and we'll never be able to experience that man, right? I did see some device that you could purchase on Amazon. You could put it on your stomach and it could like, act like you're in pain, like a woman is in pain, but it's just never going to work. But I try to reason with my wife. You know, I've been married now for almost nine years. I grew up with two sisters. I, I try and reason. You know, I can't explain it. I don't know it. I know she's in pain. I know she's suffering. Um, but then I'll kind of remind her, like, hey, listen, I've stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night last night. So I, 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 I don't necessarily understand fully, but I can I kind of experience a little bit of pain. I'll never understand what she goes through, but I did tell her last week when I went through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru line, they forgot my sauce. So, you know, I can't like fully understand the pain, and I'm not trying to understand that pain, but uh, maybe I can reason with it. But here's what I know. When pain hits, pain hurts, right? It doesn't matter who you are. You could be some macho man or macho woman, and you think pain is nothing for me. But deep down inside, you know when pain hits, pain hurts. Job describes it in chapter 30 of verse 16. He says, my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. 
Some of you are there right now. These days of suffering are gripping you. Verse 17 says, night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. Can I ask you what kind of pain you're in today? Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's relational, maybe it's financial pain. But here's what we all know, and we're all pretty smart. Pain can either paralyze us or it can propel us. It can either keep us away from God, questioning God, doubting God, or it could allow us to advance closer to God, to do greater things for God. God, I will not allow my pain to paralyze me and keep me from the things of God and from the people of God. Instead, I will use my pain to bring comfort to others. I will use my pain to propel me to do greater things for you. We all know people like that who have been through pain and they've done great things for God and they use that pain as part of their story. But then we know some who are still paralyzed by it. They can't do anything. They can't seem to believe anything because they're so struck by pain that there's no moving in their life. There's no pressing in their life. There's no belief in their life because they're in pain. And why would God, who loves me, put upon me all of this pain? Is it paralyzing you or is it propelling you? This was the excuse that this woman had to press past in order to receive that which God was going to give her. She pressed past pain. But it wasn't just that. The second one is disappointment. I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm giving you like point number, big point number one, old school here, and then like three little things, okay? So like little, little A, little B, little C. So the first one would be pain. The second one would be disappointment. Look at verse 25. Again, the woman was there. She'd been subject to bleeding for how many years? 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. It doesn't say one doctor, one physician. It says many doctors. And she had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Doctor after doctor after doctor. One opinion after another opinion after another opinion. And it seems like, God, all these opinions and all these doctors aren't even concerned about me. And either they are giving me the reality or the truth, or they're just trying to scam me. Because I read this text, and Luke goes on to... In, in the book of Luke, it goes on to talk about how she spent her whole livelihood on physicians. And it seems to me that these doctors were only concerned about drying up her bank account than they were her issue. And I say that because we know that there were remedies in ancient times for this type of sickness. Nothing that could 100% cure it, but there were remedies for it. But she found no relief. In fact, every time she got worse. And 12 years later, she spent all her money... So now she's, now she's physically worse, and she's financially broke. It's like, God, don't give me both of those, please. Like, I get it. If I'm going to be physically broke, just give me a lot of money. I don't want to be physically broke and financially broke. Or maybe you're on the opposite. You're financially broke. Can I get an amen? Amen. But you're physically, you know, in a, in a good place. But this woman is experiencing both. She's, she's physically hurting. She's physically broken. And now she has wasted all her money away Assuming and hoping that these doctors, these, these counselors, these psychiatrists would, would help her and they only made her worse. Now, not all doctors and psychiatrists are this way, but there are many. There are some who are more concerned about what they can get out of you than what they can give you. Because if you only needed one session, then they would not profit as much. And so they want to bring you back a couple more sessions. They want to bring you back for more time. They want to, they want to get as much as, not all doctors, there are some. 
Maybe we've experienced them, that they don't care about your well-being. Many do, and those are the good ones. But there are some that are more concerned about your pocket and your bank accounts than bringing you healing. And this woman is being scammed, and here she is, time after time, thinking, God, I thought I was going to get better, but I kept getting worse. For 12 years, if anyone has any reason to wallow in her misery and her grief, it's this woman. For 12 years, here she is, bleeding, not better, desiring to be healed. I showed up to the doctor, I'm still bleeding. I showed up to, the, to, the, to my appointment and I'm st- still in pain. I showed up to, to, the, to get another opinion and I'm, it's still looking bad. And I can't explain why we go through certain things But we go through certain things assuming that God is always going to supernaturally heal it. But yet here I am, God. I'm still broken. Here I am, God. I'm I'm still not pregnant. Here I am, God. I'm I'm still suffering with this disease. Here I am, God. It still looks bad. I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to trust. But it still looks bad. And I've tried everything, God, and nothing seems to work. But church, can I remind you that perhaps you have not tried Jesus. And I would say that to the world, to those who are far from God. Man, you can, you can try doctor after doctor. You can try medicine after medicine and therapist. Those are all good, and God uses all those things. But have you first tried Jesus, the power of God? Have you tried it? Because I can tell you what it does. I can show you what it does. And it will answer your problems. It may not bring you what you need, but it'll answer your problems. Have you tried Jesus? I've tried. I just don't have strength, Jacob. It's hard to move. It's hard to press. And it's hard to believe. Because it's been so many years. It's been 12 years. I think about Job again, what Job went through. And what his life was like. And maybe this, this makes sense for you. As he says in verse 31, he says, My harp is tuned to mourning and my flute to the voice of those who weep. It's my life. That's where I'm at, God. It seems like no matter how hard I try, every time I pick a a piece of chocolate from that assorted box of chocolates, every time I get the one that's filled with that like cherry flavored vomit. You know what I'm talking about? I can't stand those assorted box of chocolates. I'm always looking for the one with, filled with caramel, but I get the scotch mallow. I don't even know what that is, but that's the one I get in Jesus' name. Like, give me the one filled with the one that I want. You know, it's like life's a sick joke on many of us. Every time I put my hand in, I get what I didn't want. Every time I step into a situation, I come back worse than I thought I was going to be. Every time I tried church, I tried Jesus, I tried a small group, I came out worse. Where are you at, God? 12 years, I'm bleeding. 12 years, I'm walking in disappointment. And you got to be very careful that you don't stay and linger in disappointment. Because here's what happens if you linger in disappointment. You lower your expectations. And when you lower your expectations, you at once believed that God could heal you. And then you started to believe that maybe God isn't going to heal you. And then because you've been in so much disappointment, you've just realized that God doesn't even love you. And then you think 12 years later, you might be at a place where you don't even think God is real because you've allowed disappointment to control you. That's been the demon that's controlling you right there, disappointment. Maybe today we need to cast some uh, disappointment demons out of you because that's what's been controlling you. And you, you have not been able to move, you've not been able to press, and you've not been able to believe because you have had so much disappointment in your life. 
But did it stop the woman? No. She moved, she pressed, and she believed, and she was about to obtain that which God was going to give her. But there's one other thing. Remember I told you I was going to give you three little, little points. One other thing, and this is probably the most important one that she had to look past. Because again, we have to go back to the context of the time that she's in. And I talked about uncleanliness. The, she had to press past pain, she had to press past disappointment, but she had to press past the law. If you look back at the text in Mark 5, the woman touches the cloak of Jesus, she touches the garments of Jesus, instantly she's healed. And verse 30, at once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? Not about you, I don't know about you, but I know when somebody touches me, but I don't know when somebody touches my clothes, you know? Like, how did he know that somebody touched his clothes? And I'm not going to sit in this too long, but this is a whole other sermon in itself. How did he know that power came out of him? And how did he not know who it went to? Kind of reminds me of when God was in the garden. And he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Or when Jesus, who doesn't know the exact time or hour when he's going to come back. It's like Jesus is saying, who? Who touched me? And his disciples, his, his loyal friends, always giving him great advice. They said, um, uh, Jesus, <clears throat> um, uh, there, there, there are many people around you, and many are touching you, and you ask, who touched you? Uh, he did, she did, they did, her did, she did, him did, and they all did. They all touched you, Jesus. What are you talking about? One person touched you. We've all been, we've all been around you, pressing against you. But Jesus kept looking around. You just see the scene. You just, he looking. Look no, somebody touched me. I felt power come out from me. Somebody touched me. In the verse thirty-three, then the woman, who we don't know the name of this woman, we just know her issue, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And I want you to notice this: trembling with fear, and then told her. Or told him what happened. Why would she be trembling with fear? Jesus, you healed me. Look what you did. I'm so grateful for you. Wow. No, she falls to her knees. And trembling in fear, she confesses what she just did. Why would it be so important for her to confess what she just did? Well, let me take you back to Leviticus chapter 15. Okay? If you have your Bibles, you can go there real quick. It's going to be page 97 in my Bible. Uh, Leviticus chapter 15 we have, this is the Levitical law. Remember, the Israelites were just, um, were just so far from doing all that God wanted them to do. God's like, let me just make this very clear with you. Let me just give you a set of rules. Just follow them. And these rules are going to be impossible for you to follow, by the way, but you, you better try to follow them. And, um, but you're not. And that's because I'm going to send somebody who's going to fulfill this. But he sends them these laws, and, and here's one of them in verse 19. And I'm actually going to read from the King James Version. Is that Okay. Anybody amen to that? Or ameneth, okay? Uh, uh, 19, this is a little more appropriate for the, for, the, for the audience in here. It says, and if a woman has an issue, and her issue is her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whoever so toucheth her shall be unclean until the evening. So according to the law, this woman who had this issue was unclean. And she'd be unclean for the amount of time that she was not clean with this issue. And anything she touched, anybody she touched, any place she sat on, anybody she pressed up against, 
they would also be unclean. There would be consequences for somebody who was unclean to touch somebody else. Maybe this makes more sense with those who had leprosy, diseases. You know, you walk into a, a hospital and you see somebody with a disease. You're just like, ugh, ugh. you know, I, I pray for you, but I, I, can't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get that. It's like my kids, when they have snot coming all up down their nose, I'm just like, Cheryl, take care of your kids. You know, like, I don't want to touch that because then it gets all over me and on me. And then I'm, then I'm coughing three days later, you know. If any parents out there that are always sick because your kids are sick, you know. So uh, we just, we kind of stay away. Do you know that in other countries, this is still taking place? That there's a, there's a system, and if you're at the bottom, you're known as untouchables. Nobody even touches you, let alone wants to talk with you or hang around you. And you live by yourself, isolated by yourself. That's only in the Bible times. No, that's still happening today. It's still happening. This woman isn't even supposed to be around people. Yet here she is around this crowd. You better believe she's touching people around her. And you better believe they know who she is because it's been 12 years that this woman has been an outcast. And yet, it would have been easy to say, oh, I can't because the law has told me that I can't. But I'm going to press past the law. Now, this isn't like our legal system today where we can break the law to receive the miracle. In Jesus' name, God said, I'd, I'd prosper financially. And that bank over here looking real, looking real good, and there's not a lot of security over there. But that's not what we're saying. This is a religious law that Jesus would come to fulfill. But the law said that she could not touch anybody. For if she touched anybody, she would be unclean. But Jesus was already unclean because of who he touched and where he was in the tombs. And so now Jesus is here. He's unclean, apparently, and she's unclean, and, 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 and now she's coming to him, and she's wanting to touch him, but she's in fear and trembling. She does so, and immediately she's healed, and Jesus is like, who touched me? She's like, I touched you. Now, the law says if you're a mess, you need to stay away. She wasn't even allowed in the temple. How do you expect to be, to be healed or encouraged by the body of Christ when you're not even allowed into the church? You know, what if we said this on Sunday, next, next week we're going to put a sign up here. If you haven't showered today, please stay outside. Or uh, if you didn't put deodorant on today, um, please sit in the seat. Uh, you know, put a seat in between. That's just that's actually a, a righteous thing to do. You know, just like put a space in between. Us. But what if we had a sign that said, "If you're unclean today, you cannot show up to this church. In fact, you better not even get near the pastor of the church because you are unclean." What kind of message does that show? Again, there, there was procedures that these people had to go through. But these procedures were changing. And it was happening right in the moment. She was unclean, knew that she was not allowed to because she was a mess. And the, and the, and the law said to stay away. But now Jesus steps into the mess. And he says, if you're messy, you might just be a candidate for a miracle. If you're in a messy situation right now today, you might just be in a situation where God is going to show up and do only what God can do. This isn't like a get in a mess and watch God, you know, do a miracle. I'm just saying if you are in a mess today, if you can't explain why you're going through what you're going through, you don't know why. Maybe God is about to do something in your life because God specializes in turning messes into what? messages. And so if you're a mess today, if you're a mess, then Jesus says, come on over, watch what I can do. So this woman, what we can learn from her is she puts aside the excuses. There was the excuse of pain, there was the excuse of disappointment, and there was the excuse of the law. She presses past all of those. She advances past all of those. And here's the 
Kind of second big point. She puts on faith. You got to put aside the excuses. Okay, I've done that, Jacob. Check. And now I've got to put on faith. In verse 25, again, we're just breaking down this text. A woman was there. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She'd spent all she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Verse 27. Underline this if you've got a pen or a highlighter. It says, when she saw Jesus. Is that what it says? When she saw him heal somebody else. That's not what it says. Come on, help me out. What does it say? When she what? Heard. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. She did not need to see him. She did not need to see what he did. She did not need to see him in the act of performing a miracle or healing somebody who was sick or healing the blind or the deaf. She didn't need to see it. All she needed was to hear it. Because faith does not come from seeing. Faith comes from what? Hearing the word of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who don't see and believe than those who see and believe. And so this is faith. She's putting on faith. She hadn't even seen what he could do, but she's probably heard stories. She's heard testimonies of, of his healing. She's heard testimonies of what he can do. And so because she finds out that Jesus is here and somebody said, I think Jesus is here. She's like, where's Jesus? I got to go to Jesus because I've heard about what he can do. And I think that he could heal me. After 12 years of suffering, I believe. I believe. Now, this is kind of a side note, but the scripture appears to be that it's, it's based off another person's testimony of why she believes that Jesus could heal her. Because why else would she think this man could heal her if she didn't know that this man could heal? And so she must have heard somebody. She must have strolled into Publix or wherever the marketplace was. And, and some guy was like, I was blind, but I was healed and I could see. Or some guy who was deaf and he said, I can now hear. Or somebody who was financially ruined and now is in a better place and is, is a financial giver. And so she, she heard these things. She saw these testimonies. And because of the testimonies, she had faith. Do you know that your testimony has so much power in it? Your story has so much power. If you were if you were honest about what God did in your life and you decided to get up on a stage or get up in a group, get up in a small group and say, can I tell you what Jesus did in my life? Do you know what that does? It increases the faith in the room. It does. And when I watch those videos on Instagram of like miracles taking place, I'm like, come on, God, let's go. I'm ready for church Sunday morning. I'm ready to pray for somebody right now. Like it inspires people, right? It when you hear stories, of people being healed, when you hear stories of God doing the supernatural, I just get, I get, I get pumped up. Like it's that and it's the videos of like the guys coming from, from, from war and they come home and they see their kids and then they, everybody cries and then I, then I cry. You know, I, those, those get me and then the ones of God healing, those get me. They just increase my love and then they increase my faith. And that's what testimonies do. When we have our worship night, we're giving people an opportunity to share what God has done. And I believe when you share your story about what God has done in your life, that there's going to be an individual in this room who is going to say, I now believe. But it took me from, from seeing God work in somebody else's life. I now see it. My dad talks about this all the time. By your life and by how you love, people will know.
they'll know that you follow Jesus. And so I wonder today if some of you have a story to tell and you have not been obedient to God and you have not told it. Maybe you need to tell it because there could be a woman with an issue for 12 years who is sitting there listening at your workplace right now. They're in your neighborhood right now. They know you're a believer, but they have not seen the miraculous work of God in your life. And they're waiting. They're waiting. They're ripe. And as soon as you step out in faith and begin to share, can I just tell you what God did in my life? He saved me. I was broken. And here I am. I had ruin. And here I am. I had sin. And here I am. I should have been dead, but here I am. Do you know what that does to the body? Do you know what that does to people around you? For this woman, she heard and she had faith and she touched. What did she touch? She didn't touch him. She touched his garment. And it was that garment that healed her. Wrong. It was not the garment that healed her. Jesus said in verse 34, he said to her, your faith, somebody say faith, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. No, 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 Jesus, listen. You're Jesus, and I touched you, and even just what you're wearing, that is what healed me. And Jesus said, no, one. it was your faith that's healed you. Okay, this is a message about great faith. Come on, church, we got to have great faith. But did this woman have great faith? She was a little superstitious, wasn't she? She's like, I don't know if I could touch him, but if I could just touch his garment. Now, that's never happened before. That's not recorded in the Bible where people were touching his clothes. That does happen. People hear about it. You go on in the, in the New Testament and continue to read, and they're like, maybe we can just touch his garments because it's happened before. But this hadn't happened before. This woman is doing this for the very first time. She's thinking, maybe if I could just touch his, his clothes. So she sounds a little superstitious. Let me just touch his clothes. But she hears, she has faith, she moves, she presses, and she believes because she was desperate. And it worked. James chapter 1, verse 6. For those that are praying, for those that are asking today, for those that are, you've got a list of things that you're praying for, you know exactly what it is. And you want to believe by faith that God is going to answer. Verse 6 says, when you ask, you must Believe and not doubt. That's a word right there in itself. Because I've prayed prayers like that. God, I, I think you can do this. Lord, I know, I know this would be great. I just, I'm just not sure. And I'm all about praying for the will of God, and I do that all the time. Lord, I believe that you can heal. But if you don't, I still believe in you, and I still trust in you. But I don't want to approach the throne room of God and say things like, yeah, God, I'm not sure if you can do this or not, but I'm just going to toss one up to you, you know. Just toss it up. See what you do, and then I'll wait in expectation that you're going to do what I am maybe hoping you do. You know, that's what the scripture says. When you pray, when you ask, believe it and don't doubt it. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow. Do you even know that that passage was there? I've been praying my whole life. Some of you have been praying for 60 plus years. You had no idea that if you pray and you doubt, perhaps I will not expect, I will not receive, I will not get exactly what it is. In fact, not even just what I want, but anything from God because such a person is double-minded and is unstable in anything they do. God, I want to have faith. I want to have faith. I want to believe. I believe 
that if I pray this prayer, that you can heal me. God, I believe that if I show up to this small group, that I can find healing, because that's what your passage says. It's what the word says in James, that if I confess my sins to each other, I'll find healing. I believe that. I'm not going to doubt that. I think what we doubt is the, the time frame, right? The timeline. I want it now, God. And God's like, I'll give it to you over time. Or oftentimes, you know, what we're asking for, you know, God's holding behind his hand and we're saying, God, give it to me. God, give it to me. God, give it to me. And God's like, check it out. I have something else for you. You ever, you ever, you ever experienced that? You're like, I, I didn't see that, God. I didn't see you doing that. Ah, I see you, God. I, I see you now. That was better than what I was asking for. I was really asking for this. And God's like, I know what you're asking for and I know what you want, but I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you what you need. Put on faith. You ready to put down the excuses? You ready to lay aside the things that are causing you to doubt, causing you to, to not believe? God, help my unbelief, Father. Help my unbelief. W one more thing. Well, maybe two more things. This is the third one. And this is, uh, this is interesting. We put, on, we put aside the excuses. We put on faith. And we put yourself around the right crowd. If think with me for a moment, if she had been on the other side, remember the, when Jesus was healing the demoniacs and the crowd was like, get out of here, get out of here. If she would have been around that crowd, odds are she would have been the one shouting, get out of here too. Jesus, we don't want you. Get out of here. I've got issues, but get out of here. We don't want you. Yet she was around a crowd that was pressing that was moving and that was believing. They were like welcoming Jesus. They were shouting for Jesus as she was showing up. And so she was with them. And she's like, hey, hey, I, I believe too. You believe? You believe? You've seen it? You've seen it? I, Jesus, I want to see it as well. I want to see it. Because how many of you know when you get around the wrong crowd, you start listening to the wrong people, you will find yourself in years of torment and tragedy because you were listening to the wrong opinions. You were getting some horrible advice because you had people around you that weren't concerned about your soul. But when you get around the right crowd, when you get around the right group of people, and you've got good brothers and sisters who love you, but who love God more. They're going to help you. They're going to inspire you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to help you move. They're going to help you press. And they're going to help you believe. I thank God for those in my life. Anybody thank God for those people in your life that have helped you when you were at the lowest moment? They picked you back up. Some of you, that's your, that's your, that's your kids. Some of you, that's your parents. Some of you, that's your neighbors. Some of you, that's your coworkers. When you were down, they picked you back up. But you've also been there in those moments when you were down and nobody was there because nobody cared. Because the people that you surrounded yourselves with laughed at you. They didn't care to pick you back up. Yet we have this woman who appears to be in the right crowd, listening to the right advice, hearing the right stories, hearing people talk about Jesus and what he did. And instead of seeking counsel from the world, she seemed to take in the counsel from the people of God. And she was like, I'm all in. That's what putting yourself around the right crowd will do. That's what putting yourself in a small group will do. That's what putting yourself in a church would do. It inspires you. Sometimes I show up on, on Sundays and I'm like, another Sunday, right? It's like I'm preacher DJ Khaled, another one. And some of you, that's how you treat Sundays. You and DJ Cal, another one. But then when you show up, you were down, 
and you were picked right back up. You didn't want to worship, but so-and-so next to you was raising their hands and you're like, I'm not going to let this, this man out raise his hands in me. I'm not going to let them out shout me. I'm going to shout. Even though I don't feel it, I'm going to shout. Even though I don't feel it, I'm going to raise my hands. Even though I don't feel it, I'm going to worship. But something about this, this isn't even what I was going to talk, talk about. Something about this just opens you up, puts you in a vulnerable spot. And now all of a sudden you're reminded of how God loves you, he's created you, he's called you. And, and I'll never bow down, but when I bow down to my knees, it's just like, wow, I'm just envisioning myself in front of a king. Oh, God, you're so worthy. Wow. I had no idea, but it took me to put this, put myself in this position where I could see because people around me are doing the same thing. This is, this is some of you, if you could, you'd live at the church, but we don't want to rack up the AC bill. So we got to kick you out at certain times, but you could live here because it's just, it's so beautiful, isn't it? I know we got our own issues and some of us at times are hypocritical, but we're the body, we're the church and Jesus loves his church. Get around the right people. One last thing and then I'll close. Mark 534. Again, Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He says, daughter, do you know that this is the only time recorded in the Bible where Jesus refers to a woman as a daughter? The only time. We, we read about we're sons and daughters of God. This is the only time where Jesus steps into a situation and he calls the woman daughter. He says, your faith has healed you, my daughter. Go in peace, my daughter. Be freed from your suffering, my daughter. Now Jesus is headed to Jairus' daughter. Clearly this girl is this man's daughter. And he, he's gonna go to her. And by the way, it's a fascinating miracle. You, got, you gotta read it. He jumps back. Because while he's healing this woman with the, the blood issue, um, Jairus, who's with Jesus, who's like, Jesus, we, we, we gotta go. My, my, my daughter's dying. I, I need you to come. Let's go. And uh, somebody taps Jairus on the shoulder and says, hey, don't even ask him to come because she just passed away. And then I assume Jairus weeps. He falls and he said, if, if you had only, why did you stop to heal somebody else? You could have healed my daughter in time. And Jesus is like, Jairus, hold up. Don't you know that I'm Jesus and I can raise the dead? And so he goes and he convinces all these people that she was actually sleeping and he raised her from the dead. Beautiful scene. But notice her identity is a daughter of this man by the name of Jairus. But this woman, 12 years of this issue, odds are didn't have any father. Probably has been disowned. Can't even be around or touch her parents. She has probably not ever been called daughter. And Jesus shows up and he says, you're my daughter. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't just bring you physical healing, but Jesus makes you whole. And I don't know today who needs to hear this. You might be begging and pleading for God to heal you physically. And God is, maybe he does that or maybe he doesn't. But what he wants to do is he wants to make you whole. He wants to call you his son. He wants to call you his daughter. He did not come to heal you physically. He came to save you from a world of sin. And he came to make you whole so that one day you would be in eternity with him for the rest of your life. That's what he came to do. He just so happened to heal this woman physically who's been, who's been having this issue for 12 years and, and, and she 
celebrated and praised him. But he said, listen, be blessed. You know, be freed from your suffering. But I want you to know the most important thing right now is that you are my daughter. And you may not have had a father, but I want you to know today that I'm your father. I'm your father. That's probably the, the greater miracle in this situation right here. Yeah, the woman found physical healing, but she was made whole. And I wonder today if there's anybody in this room that perhaps your prayer now has become, God, will you make me whole? Lord, I'm in pain, will you make me whole? God, I'm suffering, would you make me whole? God, I'm miserable, would you make me whole? God, whether you want to fix this ailment that I have or whether you want to fix this disease that I have, God, I, I, I believe and pray that you can. And as, your, as, as one of your pastors, you better believe that I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you every day, all day, I will, because that's what the scripture says. And I'm going to believe by faith. I'm not going to doubt that God will heal you and that he can heal you. But what if he'd rather but make you whole? And that's the healing that you need. Would you stand up to your feet all across this room? I, Father, I just pray right now in this room that as many of us are here and we're asking and we're begging and we're presenting real things, Lord, real things, real issues. Some of us are broken inside and all we can do is weep. All we can do is cry. Because how many years will it be, God, before you show up? How many years will it be before you intervene? How many years will it be before you remove this thorn in my flesh on my side, as Paul said? How many years will it be, Father? It's been one, it's been two, it's been 12. I can't take it anymore. When will you come? When will you show up? And my prayer for you today is that God would, yes, answer that prayer, but that you would realize that the greatest miracle in your life is that he calls you his that he calls you his son, that he calls you his daughter. And you may not have any biological family here or around. You may not have parents alive still. And that, that, that gap is missing, that, that you have, you've got a vacant spot in your heart because I mean, you just wish that you could call somebody father. You wish that you could call somebody mother. You wish that you had that parent figure in your life. And, and maybe today for you is to realize that he's here. God is here. He's right here in this room. And he's touching you and he's blessing you and he wants what's best for you. And and you've been searching and searching and searching to find wholeness. You've been asking and asking and asking to find completeness. You've found it, you try to find it in relationships, you try to find it in money, you try to find it in success, you try to find it even in the fact that you might be healed. Maybe you will be whole. But can I tell you, you will not be whole when you are healed. Jesus can make you whole. He can make you whole today. And so if you can, if you're asking for something, I want you just to stretch out your hands just like this, open them up said, God, make me whole. Would you point out anything in my life, Lord, that I need to know of, that I have put in the way of making me whole? And so I trust in you, Father. I trust in you, God. Come on, sing this out. I trust in God, my Savior, the one. Lord, would you make us whole? He will never fail. Would you make us whole, Father? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. 
You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.